My name is Mac, and I am privileged to be able to fill in for Pastor Brian today. Uh, Pastor Brian and uh, Erica are uh, having so much deserved time off, and they're running around in the warm weather in Southern California, from what I understand. So if you uh, want to go join them, well, you get to pay for your own flight, right? <laughs> Saintly Simeon and Anna the prophetess had a word for people who desire to live with expectancy. Now remember, the days of their lives were lived in a, a very difficult period of history. Yet in spite of their environment and in spite of their old age, and the fact that Anna had faced the death of her husband many years earlier, and in spite of loneliness and tears for each of them, their face was radiant and the secret of their radiance is the fact that they lived in expectation. And the secret is worth learning because expectation is a prize to be coveted. You're probably thinking, well, yeah, of course, you know. But oddly, there are multitudes of people who are afraid of any kind of high expectation. Frankly, I suspect that some of them live by the non-biblical beatitude Blessed are they that expect nothing, for they will not be disappointed. Kind of like uh, until the last couple of years, uh, Chicago Cubs fans and uh, uh, Houston Astros fans, maybe Red Sox fans until about 13 years ago. Well, sure, life has its disappointments. Even expectant people have unfulfilled dreams. And every one of us knows the pain of disappointed hopes. And for this reason, there are those who have become afraid to hope. Some have had high expectations, highlight their path for a moment in time, and then they had something dreadful happen that left them in a deep darkness. I've known women who went through one miscarriage after another. I've known men who've uh, been involved in business de dealings that went sour. But my friends, if expectation is dangerous, the lack of it is even more so. If I go to bat with high expectations, I may be disappointed when I strike out, but if I never expect to get a hit, I will not dare to go to bat at all. Therefore, in spite of the risks, I'm going to go on expecting because any disappointment is better than never to have hoped. But if expectation is a prize to be desired, what good is it? Well, first, it gives a bit of seasoning to the feast of life. It brings a thrill to the dawning of every new day. And if we don't have it, what then? Well, when we, when we look at Solomon, who wrote, of course, the book of Ecclesiastes, we can see that even if a man has everything, if he doesn't have expectation, he has nothing that motivates his heart. And so poor Solomon wasn't gripped by the passion of the crusader. All he had was his wealth. People argue that he was in fact the most wealthy man on earth in his day. But he saw no hope of making things better. He said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, what has been will be again, and what 
what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. So living without expectation, life for him was meaningless. But there's another man to consider, and his name is Paul. And in his youth, he was ambitious for leadership in his Jewish environment. And he was delighted to go about his appointed task of persecuting Christians. But at one point, he met Christ, and he became his loyal servant. And as we see Paul's story in the New Testament, we see him suffer loss. And we see him face the shame and the humiliation of the whipping post and imprisonment and other horrible things. And yet we see his face radiant with the light of expectation. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. You see, from the lives of Solomon and the lives of Paul, we have this interesting contrast. We see that if we have lost hope, all treasure is just worthless fool's gold. But if we live in expectancy, we can live in almost any environment. My wife and I, we knew a woman named Chana, Chana McKaylee. Chana was Jewish, and she was a speaker for the Steven Spielberg Foundation. Because when she was 14 years old, she was one of those Jewish people that ended up in a Jewish I'm sorry, in a uh, German concentration camp. Her whole family was taken and she never saw her dad and her brother again because they were killed there. She was there with her mother, as, like I said, as a 14-year-old and they were locked up for about eight months before they were finally liberated. They were in, uh, I'm not sure I'm gonna say this right, Outswitch, which is one of the worst concentration camps that there was. But she said to, to Pam and me over, over lunch one day, she said that the, the thing that kept her going was the expectation that they would be liberated. And indeed, when our American troops did liberate their camp, she said she wanted to run up and hug every single one of those soldiers. Because for her, living in expectancy, she was able to get through one day after another in that horrible place. But what else is good about expectancy? Well, it's the pathway to discovery. Who is it that discovered and mapped out our world? Well, it's those who lived in expectancy. Naturally, there are some explorers who found even more than what they expected. But for those who refuse to believe that there is anything beyond the horizon, those people have never become discoverers. Listen to the words of a discoverer. It's found in Psalm 107, verses 23 and 24. It says that others went out in, on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord. They saw his wonderful deeds in the deep. You see, they saw because they were expectant enough to venture out. And just as the explorers had expectancy, 
The same can be said of all other discoverers. Expectancy is the key. I have a friend named Jim. Jim is a PhD. He got his PhD in human genetics. He's probably the most brilliant man I've ever known. He is a he was a cancer research scientist, and he had a personal vendetta against cancer because when we were in college, his dad died at the age of 52 from cancer. And so he's had a, a personal ambition to do what he can in that realm to fight cancer. So when, you, when we do all of those things, those fundraisers to raise money for research, Jim is one of those guys that did all that research. And He's been, he's been flown to every country in Europe, uh, to Kobe, Japan, after their massive earthquake a couple of years later, Kiev, Russia, uh, Ukraine, uh, after the Chernobyl disaster. You know, is it safe for us to have children again? Uh, and they won't have deformities, uh, like, automatically? But he said to me that in his research as a cancer research scientist, that expecting to find the answers is the very thing that drives him forward. You see, those who have expected nothing, though, by contrast, they have seen nothing. And just as the expectant are the discoverers in the physical realm, the same can be said in the spiritual realms. People who recognize the Savior in that little newborn child in the manger in Bethlehem were a bunch of shepherds who were expectant, and then just a few days later, on the eighth day after his birth, saintly Simeon and godly Anna were the ones that were expectant, and they had been doing that for a long time. They were looking for Jesus. And the expectant are forever finding fountains where those without expectation see only the hot sands of the desert. Another mark of expectancy is youthful hopefulness, regardless of how many birthdays they've had. And that's because youthfulness is a matter of a heart. If you still believe that the impossible is possible, you are young whether you are 9 or 90. Conversely, if you have lost this expectancy, you are old no matter how few your birthdays. Still another mark of expectancy is that it is a source of usefulness. The expectant man is useful by virtue of what he is. In Acts 27, we see this revealed in Paul's life. The setting is a turbulent sea with 276 people on board of a, of a storm-tossed merchant vessel. And for days they had been doing all of that they could and they were finding it rather difficult. Acts 27 verse 14 tells us that it, it was a nor'easter of hurricane force that blew down on them. And they were taking a violent battering as they were driven along by the wind. And in fact, it's worth looking at. Acts chapter 27. Feel free to turn there with me if you like. 
We read in verses 20 and following. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long while without food, Paul stood before them and he said, Man, you should have taken my advice not to set sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the, sh the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. You see, as it says there in verse 20, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. All their hope had been lost. But the, this expectant man, Paul, had given them hope through the word of God and through his steadfast belief in that, belief in that word. When you read the rest of the story, you see how the ship was in fact broken into pieces and yet every life was saved. The expectant man helps by his hope, which leads to action. And herein is one secret of the irresistible might of the early church. That church won its triumphs in one of the darkest and most desperate days of human history. And by the way, I'm very aware that people nowadays think that this time is just as bad and may in fact grow worse. I hear it constantly. One source of the early church uh, of their power was their, was their expectation. And they had a word which they used to cheer one another on. It was that word, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. We see it in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. The Lord is coming. These Christians lived in the hopeful expectation that the Lord was soon to return to them as promised in John chapter 14, and that also is worth looking at. There we read, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And how about in Acts chapter 1, just a few pages later, where we read, starting at verse 6. So when they had met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in 
all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You see, this promise is closer now than it has ever been. And as Jesus said in verse 7, we don't know the time or the dates. It's worth noting what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians in this regard. In chapter 4, we read starting at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You see, these and other scriptures give us much reason to hope because of the truth of these scriptures. We believe in his imminent return. This is our hope in spite of the scoffers. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we read about some of those guys. Starting at verse 3, we read, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And then in verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then also in verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you, with the wisdom that God gave him. And this message is not about the second coming. It's about having expectation of meeting with him every day and the expectation of meeting him 
face to face one day. The tragedy is that many people have stopped expecting him. But that expectancy can be regained because Jesus is ready to meet with you today and every day. I'm a chaplain. I run into this multiple times every single day. I run into people from all kinds of backgrounds. And it's always the same kind of thing for those uh, who are not followers of Christ, who are not eager to follow him. It's always a matter of, oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of hopelessness. They make jokes about the evening news. I make jokes about the evening news. It's pathetic. It's hopeless. The source of hope is found right here in God's word and in this corporate worship. Today, wherever worshipers come together in the assurance of meeting the risen Christ, there is an atmosphere of joyful expectation. Let me try that one again. Expectancy that has drawing power. It's the expectant church that is the hope of our world. We see how to be expectant in Simeon and Anna. They learned it through long fellowship with God. And our God is a God of hope, as we are told by Paul in Romans 15, 13. Since our God is a God of hope, he inspires hope in those who know him. Anyone who has walked with God for some time knows from experience that we know his closeness most when life is hardest. And that's when we see his grace being fully sufficient. Not only can we gather hope as we look at God's dealings in our lives, but in our world also. No greater blow, when we think about this, no greater blow was ever struck at goodness than was struck at Calvary. Yet that cross has become the supreme magnet of mankind. When we consider the terrorism and war and unrest of many kinds are both near and far in our world. The outlook can seem gloomy as we head towards Christmas. But remember that things weren't too cheery in the days of Jesus' birth. So let's be people like Simeon and Anna and let's extend expectancy and hope in our world by declaring his purpose. Remember Luke chapter 2. Eric read it earlier. Beautiful stuff. In verses 30 and, and following, it says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In verse 38, we see that Anna, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all. That's what we get to do. That's beautiful stuff. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 6, and verse 2, we see the reason for this. Where Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's what our world needs. That's what they need from us to declare hope that is in Christ. Please join me as we pray and ask God to build that up into us. Oh, Lord God, we do ask that you, indeed, would use us to declare hope that is found in you only. We realize that our dark world is in a world of hurt. We see it all around us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would build up within each of us in a hope and an expectancy of your goodness that we can declare to all of those that are around us. Like Simeon and Anna. Please, Lord, do that in a way that will bring honor and glory to your 